So we we did a lot of multi-stuff really early on. And then when everybody got bit by that overzealous hop bug um, <laughs> and like Thank you, mid, California. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, mid 20 teens kind of thing, we were mm-hmm. totally swept up in that. And we planted a whole bunch of hops. Um, we still have some out in Highland and um, we were we were really big into like big IPAs and these big resiny notes and it was just kind of blowing me away the, the fact that people were making all these really crazy nuanced fruity kinds of IPAs and we had no I mean like the industry still has hardly any clue of the chemicals that actually go into making those flavors and aromas and stuff like that and that that's always kind of like fascinated me and I think it's kind of how I'm driving the company is like there's if you were to talk to any of my staff I rarely say that's a bad idea we shouldn't do that <laughs> we're they're We're right. always up for things. And I think stylistically, you know, we play a lot of the hits. We got a really good Kolsch. We got an Amber. Um, we made a really solid brown ale, um, things that people are really familiar with. And then, you know, as we've been kind of moving forward, um, you know, we we make a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Food Crush, the On Milwaukee podcast for people who eat and also had to start this podcast fighting off their dog, Charlie, who got very excited about this podcast starting. Uh, <laughs> I am your co-host, Matt Miller, culture editor at OnMilwaukee.com. And I am joined, as always, by Lori Frederick, dining editor at OnMilwaukee.com. How are you doing today, Lori? Hopefully you're not fighting a dog that is now trying to type on my laptop. I don't, I don't, have, a, <laughs> I don't have a dog to fight, so... And my, my cats, you know, they're sleeping. Oh, so see, Charlie's normally is... really well behaved, but today he's very interested yeah. in this podcast. Maybe that's because we have a very special guest on this podcast, a second Charlie the dog. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, he won't be able to speak very much. So we have another special guest. Who in, is, in Charlie's stead. In Charlie's stead. Uh, <laughs> neither a dog nor a Charlie. Uh, Lori, would you like to introduce yeah. our guest today? Sure. Of course, of course. So we are here with Nick um, Kosas of Dead Bird Brewing. So this is a brewery that, you know, is fairly new to Milwaukee. You guys opened in September of 2019. Does that yep. sound right to you? Like the last it year does. has been really, really fuzzy. Yeah. So you <laughs> so you guys got just a little bit of time in um, before the pandemic to kind of introduce yourselves to folks and um, really, really fast. <laughs> yeah, um, we, we got about six months in. So, so tell us, like, tell us the story behind Dead Bird, um, because I think a a lot of people are curious about the name, um, and for people who haven't, you know, given you a visit, you know, you guys are, I don't know, maybe somewhat unique in terms of kind of how you approach everything. Yeah, um, the name is always a, a kind of a standard. Um, we <laughs> uh, tell it often, and I'll give you guys yes. my my one breath festival rundown uh, <laughs> just for the entertainment purposes of it so back in 2015 when my business partner and i started homebrewing the first thing you need to brew beer is a large pot back then everybody was deep frying turkeys and burning down the garages and those big <laughs> seven and a half gallon aluminum pots were everywhere 
His parents had one in their attic, and when we went to go find it, sure enough, there was a little dead, desiccated sparrow in the bottom. So I worked at the UW chemistry stockroom as a student at the time and cleaned it every way we knew how. Acids, bases, autoclave, whatever, but the joke always was any beer we ever made in that pot was going to have a little dead bird in it. So here we are, (laughs) 15 years later, and over 15 years, we don't have the pot anymore. Uh, Our tap room is all vegan, so there's no dead birds near anything. (laughs) And uh, we've got a pretty good story to tell to go with our name. That's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah, because so many people wonder, like, why would you, why would you call a brewery that, you know, and then, yes. and then a vegan brewery, no less. What <laughs> yes. so percentage like, of like you know. kind of cockeyed glances do you get when you tell people the <laughs> name? Like, is it like a like a fifty percent or seventy five? It's it's pretty high. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody goes, yeah, that makes sense right off the bat. <laughs> Right, um, right. most, most of the time we get like, oh, how'd you come up with that? Or, uh, I'll be <laughs> last week I was pulling a double stack of kegs off a delivery truck on a forklift. And the guy comes up to hand me the bill of lighting and is like, Hey, I got to ask. And I was like the name, right? He's like, yep. <laughs> so I'm parked on a forklift in the middle of fifth street with this giant semi-tractor just idling. And I'm telling the guy the story with this mountain of kegs on this forklift. <laughs> so I'll tell it anywhere. It, it doesn't really matter where I am. I'll I'll stop. I can do it in about 50 seconds, so it doesn't take that long. It'd be it'd be hilarious if that guy was like, I have to ask you something, and you're like, it's about the name, and he's like, no, I just really wanted to know if you make a Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy just yeah. wants directions, and here I am spouting off some random story. And it's just like, so yeah. what's technically yeah. the difference between a lager and a pilsner? I'm just never quite certain <laughs> about it. Yeah, like he just asks you deep cut uh, brewery questions and bar questions. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. what got you into beer prior to, you know, prior to finding this dead bird? <laughs> and yeah. uh, what, what, what kind of got you interested in the idea of, you know, homebrewing and making your own stuff? Um. I, you know, I think we kind of got bit by the the DIY bug. Um, we were college students, so beer was meant for one thing, um, <laughs> and it cooking wasn't brats. like yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, it definitely wasn't <laughs> cooking brats or sampling right. through like the nuances of craft beer or old world German pills or anything mm-hmm. like that. And um, you know, I was a chemistry student, so we were making. I mean, we were making aspirin in lab. We were making all sorts of unique kind of chemicals and things in labs. So we had a lot of, you know, do-it-yourself spirit. And we figured, okay, well, we can probably, we could probably make this cheaper, I think, and better (laughs) than if we go out and buy it. And um, after over five years of this and hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's not cheaper. Just go out and buy your beer if you're in it to save money. Um, (laughs) True. But uh, yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was really just to see if we could do it. Um, and the first thing we made wasn't a beer. It was a mead, actually. Oh. Which I think when you see where we're at now makes total sense. But at the time, it didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> it was really expensive. It was way out of left field. Nobody knew what it was. And it was total rocket fuel and was that way for like three years. The three years it took us to drink it. It was a nightmare. <laughs> But even despite that, we're like, yeah, we should do this again, but let's not make a mead. <laughs> let's make something <laughs> yeah. else. Let's like make every, anything else. <laughs> I feel like every homebrew story has at least one of those where the, there's like a really ambitious idea. Like you you want to like, ooh, like let's let's make a mead or like let's make a I, I know some friends made like a like a 
like a veggie, like a really herbaceous beer that ended up yeah. tasting mm-hmm. like uh, liquid salad. And <laughs> I even remember I even remember in the early years of Milwaukee Brewing Company, they had um an oregano beer that they were piloting. Like this is in the early years when they just had they were already established and they they taste tested it on a tour. Um <laughs> and it I thought it was kind of amazing. I mean it, it sort of had this, it would have been great, like tr- alongside of pizza, because sure. you really did actually get this sort of <laughs> Um, peppery oregano type flavor, um, but it didn't really make it past <laughs> past, <laughs> a, past the pilot test. So, but yeah, I do, um, I do think you always have to have that. Like every brewery has that one kind of like ambitious or like uh, we we tried something and we we took a big swing and maybe we'll right. <laughs> maybe we'll go back uh, to to some other ideas before we take another swing like that. Yeah. I guess <laughs> yeah, stylist we, stylistically. We where were you guys led, kind of as you got more serious about it and maybe started um, contemplating um, a, a brewery? Yeah, I think um, you know one of the one of the things that was really kind of unique. Um, so my my business partner Jeremy Hatch and I um, we were college roommates. We were kind of serial entrepreneurs, so we you know lived together a bunch and started a bunch of companies and um, we drank a lot of beer. And I think we both had very similar s- tastes immediately um, for beer. And I, I remember having a warp speed from uh, Lake Louie, which you know was probably one of the only Scotch ales that was around um, yeah. in regular production Back. at that time. I was like, wow, oh, this is pretty solid. And um so we we did a lot of multi stuff really early on, and then when everybody got bit by that overzealous hop bug, um, <laughs> and like Thank you, mid, California. <laughs> yeah, like you know mid twenty teens kind of thing, we were mm-hmm. totally swept up in that, and we planted a whole bunch of hops. Um, we still have some out in Highland, and um, we were we were really big into like big IPAs and these big resiny notes and it was just kind of blowing me away the the fact that people were making all these really crazy nuanced fruity kinds of IPAs and we had no I mean like the industry still has hardly any clue of the chemicals that actually go into making those flavors and aromas and stuff like that and that that's always kind of like fascinated me and I think it's kind of how I'm driving the company is like there's if you were to talk to any of my staff I rarely say that's a bad idea we shouldn't do that (laughs) we're we're always up for things and I think stylistically you know we play a lot of the hits we got a really good Kolsch we got an amber um we made a really solid brown ale um things that people are really familiar with and then you know as we've been kind of moving forward um you know we've we make a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, you um, need I, that, no. yeah. Like, stuff yeah. You, you yeah. need to have the hits. Like it's like an Italian yes. restaurant. You you have to have the spaghetti dish. You have to have a pizza. Yep. You can have but a bolognese. Yeah, but then you have to have those like kind of you know signature dishes that are like this is something special or this is a a twist on what you know. Uh, because the more people drink or the more people eat or the more people watch movies, the more inquisitive they get about like okay, where are the boundaries here? Like what? 
what are what, where can I find something new uh, that I haven't had or seen or tasted before? And so you do kind of need those those kind of funky different beers that kind of test test the palates of even people who are well, even now. I I was not a big beer head for a long time. I like had my favorites, and I was like, and I'm fine. I have my River West Stein, and I have my Modelo, and I am content. And then after a while, you're like, no, I want to. What, what are these IPAs about? I'm like, what are sours about? And you you venture into these corners. Um, and you, you start finding new stuff you love. And I think that's what's really exciting about beer right now. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what's exciting about craft beer right yeah. now. You know, is it's not a big commercial enterprise to necessarily, you know, your, your every beer you make doesn't have to be a, be a beer for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, and the more curious people get, the more I, th- the more I think they expect, you know, places to go a little wild. Where where are you kind of on the spectrum in terms of you know some some breweries are really really hardcore about like true to style at least you know for those core beers and and I think some people you know because nothing is really I mean there there are standards for everything you know like wine right beverage you know and same with beer um, but some people are a little bit more loose. And some people are a little bit tighter on that. Like, what what does this like? You know, what should this this you know farmhouse ale taste like? What should you know? Right. Um, you know, I we're not very um, beholden to styles, I guess. Um, I do. You know, we've got some new equipment coming in, and I do really want to make like a really, really good, very old school pilsner. Just because they can be hard, you know, like you can't, there's no place to hide yeah. in a Pilsner. <laughs> if you made it bad, right. everybody's going to know well, it sucks. Yes. <laughs> you yes. can't hide you filter it. filter it to death until it's nothing, you know. Right, or, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. yeah. There, there's it, a couple it, things that you can get wrong and it will just be totally yeah. evident. It's so at the funny. same time. And Pilsner has that kind of status because Pilsner is so like, that. that's such a easy drinking, a very much like, you know, totally. kind of like, uh, get people to the door of beer, but mm-hmm. the way pe- brewers talk about it, it's like it for a beer that you know easy to drink on some levels. It, it's not it, as it easy is, to make. It is yeah. the the yeah. PB and J of beer, but if the PB and J required <laughs> like intense like science right. and like listen, you, if gotta, you, screw you gotta this make up, the jam, you gotta make the peanut butter, you gotta bake your own bread what? before you make yeah. a sandwich, yeah. and you gotta get all those parts <laughs> but, but right. If you wind up with runny yeah. jelly, it's and, not a good PB and J. Yeah, and and the thing is, everybody knows. You know, yeah. it's sort of like you know trying out for a musical and singing the song that is popular <laughs> right. that everyone yeah. will know if you miss yes. a note or if you're just yep. a little bit, yeah. you know. Or it's like the national um, anthem. Flat. You know, like you sing that everyone yeah. knows the national anthem, but it's secretly like the hardest song to sing. <laughs> yes, no right. one can really sing. No, because the I'm range no on one. the national Few anthem people. is just inhumane. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> so. So, so do you have any any exciting things that are kind of brewing or coming out? You know, uh, maybe in the next that few are weeks. Brewing. Yeah, um, <laughs> we do uh, actually, um, and depending on when this is going to drop, um, it may have already happened, um, or <laughs> it may still be coming up. But um, so one of the things that we really like playing around with, and the the people I've kind of gathered are also really interested in this too. Um, people I've gathered to work for me um, mm-hmm. is really intense seasonal 
flavors, things that, you know, you can only do once a year. You can only do, you know, you can make it this week. Next week, it's going to be something else because of the ingredients. So we recently took really two unique things, a really old technique and a really old recipe style. And so we, um, I think it was a little over a week and a half ago, I guess, we uh, we brewed up a sati gruit. Um, so sati is a really old um, Norwegian Finnish um, brewing style where you take spruce boughs and they didn't have a mash ton or a lauder ton back then, but they had a barrel. And so they would line the bottom of the barrel with these boughs and then they would put all the grain in it and then they would throw all their hot water on top of it. And it would kind of act as a filter. So when they would knock out the bottom of the barrel to get all the liquid out, it would kind of hold all the grains in. But at the same time, it was extracting all these really big, crazy, sprucey, resiny, kind of deep, earthy notes. Um, mm-hmm. So we took that technique and then we combined it with um, a gruit, which is kind of what beer was before the Germans got a hold of it and said, everything has to have <laughs> water, barley, hops, and yeast in it. Um, so right. like before hops, people were using all sorts of things. Um, to get flavor into beer, to help preserve beer, to, you know, make it taste better than the vinegary horror show that was beer in like the year 1000. And um, (laughs) so we harvested a a bunch of really seasonal things. Um, So we made this gruit that has cat mint, um, which is like catnip, uh, ale hoof, which if you have a lawn that you mow regularly, it's also creeping Charlie. Um, which was like uh, one of the Charlie's. original, yeah, um, one of the original uh, beer ingredients. And then we finished it with spruce tips, which are kind of harvested in this month. Um, you get them too early, they don't taste like anything. You get them too late, and it's like straight London dry gin. But if you get them right in the middle, you get this really big, crazy citrus, um, lemon yes. lime kind of thing going on. And each tree is different. So it won't vary species to species, but it'll vary tree to tree. So like this spruce makes really good tips. This spruce makes tips that taste like nothing. Um, And so you kind of got to go around nibbling on the ends of tree branches (laughs) to find the one that you really (laughs) like. Um, So we kind of threw all this in together and um, it was way more nuanced than we thought. We thought it was going to be this big crazy explosion because there's not really... (laughs) You can't go online and say, hey, I'm brewing a beer with catnip. How much catnip do I put in my beer? That's not a recipe you can look up. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Same thing right. with Creeping Charlie in a beer. There's not really, you know, you, you just kind of do it and you see how it goes. And it's like, we'll make it this year and then we'll make it again next year. And hopefully we will have learned some lessons from this year and carried those over. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's definitely one of the weirdest things we have going on in beer right now um, is is that Sati Gruid. And uh, we're hoping to release it on the solstice. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect timing. Um, Very, very foragey style. Yes. Type of beer. Yeah. Yes. That's that's for sure us. (laughs) We went out in the woods and we found some stuff. And we made an alcoholic beverage out of it. Now you get to tell us whether or not you like it. Because we the already age old, the age old story, <laughs> right. yeah, the age old story of beer, right? I mean, that's that's what yeah. people do. Um, yep. Yeah. So, so you also you have you also have a brewery that is is a vegan brewery. Now, 
I would say that that probably doesn't impact you a ton in terms of the beer end. Right. Yeah. I mean, True. there's there's a few things False. that are involved. <laughs> um, most of them are process wise. Um, I mean, we don't make milkshake IPAs. We don't put lactose in our beer. Um, we right, do right. use other non-fermentable plant-based sugars that are similar to lactose. Um, and so we do a bunch of dessert pastry stouts. But um, yeah, we don't put lactose in it. Um, we also stay away from mm -hmm. particular fining agents or filtering agents. Um, we don't filter our beer anyway. Um, so that's easy to stay away from. But yeah, there there right. are some pretty standard um, old-worldy kinds of uh, fining agents that go into beer. Um, mm -hmm. And there's like newer, more modern counterparts for that that we use instead um, that mm -hmm. are just as good. So beer-wise, it doesn't really yeah. affect us yeah, too absolutely. much. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say like, yeah, because all of those things are pretty optional. There's good alternatives. Um, but you guys also have a menu of plant-based food. Yeah. So, um, so and how 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 did how did the food component you know not because there are more and more breweries i mean everybody wants a food component because it keeps people kind of around a little bit more um, yep. a little bit longer um but how did how did you guys decide like okay vegan brewery you know plant-based menu um yeah um so you can blame my wife um <laughs> if you want us to have a steak um i could give you a number it'll be in the show notes um but, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't vegan, um, or even not really even vegan right now. I'm mostly vegan. Um, but yeah, so about seven years ago, I met my wife and she was vegan at the time. And I thought, all right, well, if I want this girl to like me, I shouldn't hork down double cheeseburgers, um, when we go on dates. So, um, we got <laughs> no, married no and it was to the steakhouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, you know. Probably don't be covered in cheese and bacon grease. And that was a, a fairly easy transition for me, actually. Um, the, the other part of me is is very kind of annoyingly foodie. Um, if I wasn't going to be a <laughs> chemist, I was probably going to wind up being a chef. Um, and so there was definitely um, culinary challenges that come with um, vegan food, uh, especially mm -hmm. five or six years ago. I mean... The advances that have happened make it a lot easier. And I mean, I'm also a big dude who likes food. So I want to go someplace and pound beers and eat five pounds of nachos and play retro arcade games. <laughs> so when I got to open my place, <laughs> I made sure I could do all those three things. <laughs> and um, right, right. so everything and like the other thing I, you know, and it, it's part of, you know, the being vegan or vegetarian, you kind of got to do this. Some restaurants have um, things on the menu to help you figure out what's vegan, what's vegetarian, whatever else. And so I just wanted to eliminate that as like everything's vegan, all of it. And so, um, yeah, we, we wound up with an all plant-based tap room. There was some licensing things involved too. We weren't meant to have a kitchen originally. We were meant to have a bigger walk-in cooler. That changed... I mean, a couple months before we put the cooler in. So all of a sudden we had this kitchen and um, we weren't set up for it. And when our licensing came through, initially the inspector was like, you know, you're all one big room and having like raw beef 
and eggs and dairy in a brewery is not great. Not cool. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they, they were not very keen on us because we are. I mean, like there's no doors in the place except for the first one you walk in and the two on the bathroom. That's it. Yeah, big, big um, it's space. All, yeah, yeah, it's all one big room. So, um, you know, in their mind, you're cooking a hamburger like on the lip of the main way of the fermenter. Even though it's like, you know, dozens of feet away, that's what they think you're doing. So we're like, okay, we just won't have any of that stuff. And so it, it made that decision even easier for us. Um, and I think it's kind of given us, um, you know, uh, a shtick. Uh, you know, we're not, we don't have an agenda. We're not militant vegans or anything creepy like that. Um, we just make really <laughs> good food. And that's kind of like the first thing it has to be. It has to be good first. And then it also has to be vegan. Like we won't put, well, it's vegan. We'll just throw it up there. Like, ah, eh, we won't do that. Well, we won't do it <laughs> as opposed to well, like, that's how doing vegan it halfway. gets a bad name. Yeah. Yeah. Because like people will have like, you know, that's how gluten-free got in a bad place where like people would make those like gluten-free pizza crusts or bread and they'd have, they'd try sure. to be like, oh, this isn't good. And then that yeah. ruins <laughs> all of that food. Despite the fact that like you were saying, people are really, and like you're doing, people are doing really awesome vegan stuff. But if all you know is, you know, the cardboard that places put on, you know, as like the token vegan dish that they right. didn't put any effort into, then yeah, it's going to ruin your entire concept of vegan food. I mean, that also crosses into beer. Um, you know, gluten-free beer, gluten-removed beer, 99% of the time, like all the flavor must be attached to the gluten that they took out of it or didn't put into it. <laughs> and it's awful. Right. Um, right. But there, there's some people making really solid stuff. I mean, um, Milwaukee Explorium does a lot of gluten-removed um, stuff. And you would hardly be able to tell. Um, Alt grew yeah. up in Madison. Um, I've had a good connection with those guys for years and years and years because uh, we all started out of the same place. And like, he makes really good beer that happens to be gluten-free. Um, and so I tell people like, you know, just go because it's a brewery and he makes good beer and he's got a wall full of medals for it too. And it's not like, oh, <laughs> you won in the gluten-free category. Like, no, yeah, he won yeah. like... Just as is. Yeah. And um, yes. yeah. It, it's, yeah, there's been a lot of advances in all that stuff over the past five years. It's astounding. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's amazing because that's that, that's exactly the direction that things, you know, really should go. I mean, whether it's gluten-free, whether it's plant-based, like, like at some juncture, all of those things should be like, oh, we're, we're eating this food. Oh, it happens to be, you know, plant-based, gluten-free whatever. And it's still, you know, it still is good. Um, and I think, I think most people who are, who are creating things, even if they're initially for, you know, for a specialty diet, you know, or for a, a lifestyle choice, um, the goal is to make something that everybody wants because, right. you know, yeah. A, your audience is bigger. Um, right. And I think, I mean, you know, of what I've seen, I mean, you guys are doing a pretty stellar job um, of really, Thank you. You know, honing in on what are the flavors, you know, that make this particular food item attractive, you know, to someone. And then, you know, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to bring those flavors out in yeah. a way, you know, We've without got, adding bacon to everything, you know. Right. So, <laughs> We've got some things yeah. that are pretty stylistically us, um, where, 
you know, we're things we involve in lots of what we do. Um, we like big flavors. We like, you know, interesting. I mean, if, if we had like a real kitchen and we'd be like some annoying molecular gastronomy place that's like, here, eat this foam. It tastes like ham. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you yeah. know, that would yeah. totally be <laughs> us. But we have like a yes. hundred square feet that's more like mad science lab than kitchen half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, we've made some absolute abominations and it's like, you know, we put stuff in whipped cream chargers that shouldn't be in whipped cream chargers. <laughs> and like our menu doesn't necessarily hold up to that. Um because, you know, it, it came out just like an absolute nightmare. And mm-hmm. um, we don't want to horrify people. We want to entertain and fulfill people. So, yeah, yeah. But um, now, now, now being, a, being in science or coming from the sciences um, isn't unusual. You know, being a chemist isn't really unusual to the beer world. Um, but it tends to be a little bit more unusual, you know, when it comes to the food side. Um, and... And I think, I mean, that's led you to do some things that I don't think, you know, other places would be able to do. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think, I think one of those big things is you're making your own plant-based cheese. No. Yeah, that was kind of our um, our COVID project. Um, seems like everybody took up something new. Um, so yeah. we, we launched a new company. Um, and a lot of it came out of just straight necessity. We were um, reopening May of 2020, and a lot of our supplies were coming from the like the companies we were using were either in California, like Impossible Foods, or they were based in Europe, like Veo Life, and a lot of that just shut down entirely. And you know, I'm talking to my food suppliers, and they're like, "No." you can't have it because we can't get it and we don't know when we're going to get it. And it's like, okay, but I, I still have to sell stuff. I mean, when we, when we closed it, even now we're doing like seven gallons of queso a week, which is like a disgusting amount of queso when you think about it. But like, (laughs) that's a lot of nachos that I need our queso for. And if I can't get vegan cheddar for it, then I'm not going to be able to sell that. So Immediately, we started looking at like, okay, how can we start doing this ourselves? And it's things that I've dabbled with at home on and off. And one of the things um, about our kitchen is that it, it's very allergen friendly. So I've got people in my family that are um, allergic to nuts. And I've got friends who like, if they see a peanut, they're going to go into anaphylactic shock. Um, and so, so almond cheese. So, right. Oh, well, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Almond cheese is not your, not your, yeah. Your almond forte, cheese, so. cashew cheese, things with tree nuts in it. Um, we're really kind of off the table because we didn't want to, we still, you know, like I said, it's got to be good. And then we can put it on the which, menu. Which, because I've, you know, I've been in a love hate relationship with plant based cheeses like, yeah, for a long time. Um, and some of the best ones that I saw coming out, like, you know, in the past, I don't know, five, six years, you know, have been almond, you know, or nut-based. Totally. Like, yeah. those seems to be the winning, the winning sure. combination. You know, a lot of the soy cheeses just were, mm, meh. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're a cheese eater and you're eating them, they just don't. Yeah. They just don't jive. So, so. there's, yeah, we, we wanted to be able to make the cheese and have the cheese that we needed and we didn't want to cross the no nuts in the kitchen line. 
So we started looking at other things. There's a lot of starch cheeses out there that, um, like Daya is a starch-based cheese. Mm-hmm. Like famously, one of the first mass-produced cheeses out there. It tasted like a weird combination of cardboard and feet when it first came out. It never <laughs> melts. It turns into a building material if you do get it to melt. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so there, that was also like, all right, that doesn't fulfill the requirement of being good. So we kind of started looking at like, all right, why is everybody using almonds and cashews and things like that? A lot of it has to do with fat content. Um, You know, cheese has a lot of fat in it. Dairy has a lot of fat in it. There's also some proteins involved. And so we started looking at things like water, similar things. And sunflower seeds came across um, as an option. I'd had some sunflower seed chev from a company a couple of years ago. I was like, this is pretty good. Um... Sunflower seeds are, you know, pretty much only grown here. Um, almonds are pretty much only grown here too, but they require a lot more acreage. Um, and so we had a ready supply of them. They were dirt cheap. I mean, like when you buy a bag of sunflower seeds, I don't think you could buy one that's less than five pounds. Because um, it's, it's it's dead it's dead bird seed. Right. <laughs> oh my God! It is. Of course, of course, Sorry. it's sunflowers. How could it not be? Um, How could it not be? So yeah, we um, we kind of started working on this, and I mean, we were refining cheese recipes up until you know a couple of months ago. So it's it's been a year of doing this, and um, we launched a, a new company, Big Baby Vegan Deli, and um, we've done cheeses, we've done bacon, we've done sauces, queso, aiolis, mayonnaise, things like that. And um, right now it's kind of on hold because we're reopening our tap room, but we're um, probably going to be looking for a production space so we can grow into that and do the things that we really want to do because we got a whole bunch of stuff just kind of waiting in the wings and I don't want to have to set up a mayonnaise factory and then tear it down and set up my beer factory right. and then tear that down <laughs> so I don't have a factory in the middle of my tap room. Yeah. <laughs> so. We're, um, <laughs> right. we're we're definitely looking for space to grow right now, and um, yeah. I mean it's the well, and, the, and people are coming from far and wide. I mean, you know, I think that the cheese is pretty incredible, and you you've worked with places like I know, um, Flower Girl and Flame is maybe the one that stands out yeah. the most. Is she's using your cheeses for her pizzas, um, or for some of her pizzas, and yep. um, but you have you have you know fans like who come from from a distance um, to get your mayonnaise. <laughs> your yeah. Mayonnaise. yeah, I mean, when yeah. we were, um, which when is we were making um, our ranch, I mean, like, I don't know what people do with ranch, but we had people buying like a half gallon a week. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, I'm driving in from <laughs> Mequon to buy this ranch. It's like, man, like, <laughs> what are you, black market selling it. a ranch <laughs> up in Mequon people or something? What do you do with all this? <laughs> people cannot people. get enough ranch. It's crazy. It's true. Yeah. They're but, only um, a little alarming. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, you know, pig mines down in Chicago, um, Chicagoland area. Um, they're the other one that people in the Midwest know. But, you know, as far as I'm aware, we are the only vegan brewery and probably the only vegan deli in the state of Wisconsin right now, which is great. That's like big blue ocean kind of mm-hmm. stuff for us. And, and we dig it. Yeah, and people yeah. seem to really dig it, too. So... Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, but talk talk about talk a little bit more maybe about the cheese because I think you guys you guys sort of really got into it. I mean, you have a little cheese cave. 
And, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and maybe explain to people because, you know, for a long time, I think vegan cheese was harder because there weren't the appropriate, like all of the, um, the bacterium, you know, in the server yeah. cultures for cheese are, are dairy-based or were right. dairy-based, you know, for so, so long. Um, so even if you made a cheese, you couldn't use the, the activators, sure. you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, cheese is a fermented product 99% of the time. Um, it uh, has, you know, cultures in it that um, curdle the milk, that make things tangy, um, that invoke chemical changes in the dairy to turn it into cheese. And being in the dairy state, we have you know, dozens and dozens of award-winning dairy cheeses that are, you know, just a couple miles away. The catch is, if you're going to make something vegan, you have to not just look at what's in it, but the process that those ingredients went through and where they came from. So we um, <coughs> have been doing a lot of workshopping and messing around with some fermented cheeses. Um we made a camembert. Uh, we were working on a blue for a while. And um, for those cultures, we wanted things that were traditional and recognizable um, as their dairy counterparts, but we also wanted them to be vegan. So um, I found a supplier in Europe um, that takes their cultures and washes them through a million generations. So they'll make, you know, they'll take a, culture of penicillium roqueforti and then clone it and then clone it and then clone it and then and do that a million times and so at that point it's been removed far enough from the dairy industry line where it's not going to get any cleaner than that but at the end of the day it's still that same bacterium that makes that award-winning french blue cheese and so as we've and been it, working on that we've been, the properties it retains yeah, all the properties yeah, it can, that you need it can make that, that. same cheese okay. if you took that and put it back in a dairy mm -hmm. it would make that same cheese um because mm -hmm. at that level culture growth and propagation and media and packaging and things like that are at such a high level that um you're almost guaranteed for them to act you know within 99.9 percent .9 accurate of what they did before when they're propagated so it, you know, we've been kind of hunting things down. And again, it's like putting, you know, catnip in a beer. There's not, not a lot of people out there doing yes. it. And the ones who are doing it don't want to tell you how they're doing it because they're going public for a billion dollars. They have a, they have a good of. part of the market, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. There, there's yeah. not a lot of people to talk to. So I've talked to dairy cheese makers like, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? And like, here's what's going on. If this was a dairy cheese, what would you say the problem is? And sometimes they're right, and sometimes it's like, no, this is a this is a vegan issue in our cheese that we got to work around or something like that. Um, yeah. And so some of that has been very procedural, and luckily we're pretty science-minded, so it's not failing, it's finding out a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. You know, each one is a success because we learned something. So, yeah. I mean... Uh, and obviously, with a with a cheese, a plant based cheese, like the flavor is paramount because you you yeah. want it to taste like cheese. Um, yes. But you also have like, and you mentioned this. I mean, plant based cheese is notorious for not really melting 
Um, yeah. Or not really, you know, behaving <laughs> the same way as cheese right. texturally. Yeah. Um, how um, have you had? Have you had pretty good luck? And I mean, I know yours melts. You know, I've had right. it on pizza. <laughs> um, and <laughs> um, what was? What would you consider your biggest success in terms of a type of cheese that just really worked that you are like super happy about? Yeah, um, our it was kind of the first one. It was the easiest one. Um, it went through a lot of iterations, but I think we've got it to the point where it's it's pretty killer. Our mozz, our mozzarella, um, mm-hmm. is specifically kind of like it's modeled after a buffalo milk pizza mozzarella. So we okay. specifically wanted to make something mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. not a fresh mozzarella, not mm-hmm. like a kid's string cheese mozzarella. We wanted to make a pizza <laughs> cheese. Um, because part of the thing when we were doing this is like, if I can nail this, if I can figure this out, I think we've got another revenue stream and in COVID second revenue stream sounded amazing. <laughs> if there's another very, way very, to very start important. selling stuff. Yeah. Great. Yes. Um, if Truly, I can make a dime moving forward it. for every, yeah. Yeah. Moving forward <laughs> for any business. It's like yeah. good, good number of revenue streams is just a good idea. You know, yes, we never totally. know, never know. When uh, you'll my, my next, investors you know? were cool with diversification too of like hey uh you're gonna own part of a vegan deli now too (laughs) so um but yeah i'd say our mozzarella has definitely had the most success um dana goes through a lot of it over at flower girl we've talked to um another of under other um well-known local pizza um producers that are pretty high volume who are really just kind of trying to figure out the price point thing and we're trying to figure out our scale thing um we started we were making four pound batches and now we can make a 40 pound wheel of cheese if we want to which like that's a lot of cheese like 40 pounds of cheese in a batch is a lot of cheese and so by that that scale is kind of we're inching into that section where a lot of people won't pick stuff up because it's expensive you know, if they got a margin and they got to sling a thousand slices in a week to make something work, um, you know, you, if you're over by a penny, it's not going to happen because it's a penny times a thousand. Right. So to that end, it's, um, you know, it, it's mostly the scale keeping us out of some other ones. But that mozzarella has been a big success. Um, our pepper jack, people love that. And um, we've my um He's technically my head brewer, but he also kind of is just the, we all wear a lot of hats. Um, but uh, yes. Nick Worsell, um, I like to hire as many the people with my own name as possible. Yeah, just makes it easier. I can't remember <laughs> yes. names. If everybody has my name, perfect. <laughs> you know, um, everybody's just yeah. a number, you know. Right. <laughs> no, no, they're very important. <laughs> we're all a family. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the other Nick, um, he's definitely... Um, uh, a big creative influence for us. And he's been tweaking some things with the chemistry that I've found. I mean, I was combing through, I'll do like the, the research legwork. I'll go through and read like 10 cheese making, you know, articles and like peer reviewed journal articles from like the 1960s when people in the dairy industry were figuring this stuff out. And I'll come back and be like, Hey, I just ordered a bunch of new salts and we're going to try them and we're going to see what they do because um, I read a thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll kind <laughs> of give Nick the tools and then he's got like unbridled 
flavor creativity um, where he'll make a thing. We'll be like, oh, my God, this is horrific because <laughs> you made a foam that tastes like ham or, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he'll, he'll kind of take those tools. And we, we came up with a, a softer cheese that's like a Havarti. And, um, you know, we'll probably do a dill Havarti, but we made this Caprese Havarti that's sun-dried tomato and basil. Um, and it's almost like Caprese salad in a single cube of not cheese. And it's amazing. Um, that's also <laughs> yeah. been incredibly awesome. popular, too. So, And, yes. and I guess the butter is the other thing. <laughs> I don't know. We, we've we've uh, <laughs> done a lot of stuff. That's gone over really, really well where it's like, oh, man, we need to figure out how to make a lot more of this before we can start selling it again because it sells yeah. out instantaneously yeah. and it takes yeah. us a lot of time. So, Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so what started as as a home brewing, you know, oh, let's have a brewery. Oh, maybe let's add some food um, has turned into a really, really interesting, um, you know, cross-section of businesses. Right. And you know um, what we don't have right now yeah. is an actual brewery. We don't have <laughs> we don't have any large scale <laughs> brewing equipment. <laughs> but here we are. We're still making yeah, beer yeah. and we cobbled together a little one barrel pilot system and things like that. And there's we don't really like no. you know, roadblocks and stuff like that. Like I harp on my staff about like if you find a problem or you don't like something, you can tell me it sucks, but I'm not gonna respond well to that. Like think about a Think about one potential solution. So you don't like the logo. You don't like this. You don't like whatever. Let's think about a possible solution out of this because not doing it is not really an option for us a lot of the time um, yeah. because we're so small. We, ha we have to do it. Yeah. So what is, what is I mean... It's it's hard to look forward. I think sometimes, you know, at least right now. But it's it sounds to me like you have, um, you know, a possible production facility on your hands. Um, what else? What else does do you see? You know, in terms of the future of of Dead Bird yeah. and Big Baby Deli and yeah. Um, I mean, on the on the liquid side of things, um, we did just secure. We did a great fundraiser on Mainvest. We had a lot of people from Milwaukee come out and support us and help us secure that funding, which actually helped us secure larger funding um, from some other investors. They kind of wanted a, a matched sort of thing. Um, so we are going to be pulling the trigger on um, a larger brew house as soon as all the banking bits are figured out and all the paperwork's done and we actually have the cash to spend. Um, so beer-wise, we'll definitely start seeing um, more beer from us, beer back in cans, um, potentially beer back in Madison, where we started, um, through some self-distribution. Um, our soda program, um, which the other Nick, Nick Wurzel, um, has kind of taken over and done a really great job with, will probably grow. Um, you'll great see job. more of that in cans, um, more of that distributed. Um, probably more weird things because next running it. Um, and then yeah. uh, we recently got our winery license in January. And oh, wow. um, so we are no longer limited by fermenting things that are more than 51% grain. We can ferment anything we want, um, right. which is right up our alley. We've started working with these new um, kind of an untapped section of the alcohol market, which sounds weird to say because it 
can't possibly be true. But um, there's uh, <laughs> this product that we're making called Vinda Liqueurs. Um, so they're wine-based uh, spirits, kind of. Um, we take, we source, uh, in our case right now, a fairly dry uh, blank Sauvignon Blanc, infuse it with a bunch of flavors, and then one of the superpowers you get to do as a winery is you get to fortify your liquid product. So it's at one alcohol content and you want to sure. make it stronger, you can add distillate to it. Um, and that distillate can be distillate of just about anything as long as you get um, a little approval piece of paper from the feds, which is pretty routine for them. Mm -hmm. So we've got um, three of those out right now that we're pouring at the tap room. Um, that are incredibly popular. They're gluten-free. They kind of span that, you know, somebody comes in, somebody in their party doesn't like beer, isn't a beer drinker. We've got something for them. Um, we don't necessarily want to get into... So is, this, so is this resembling or, or close... I mean, obviously different process, but like a vermouth, for instance. Yeah, that would you know, be the closest... It's a wine that has been... Okay. Yeah, so it's it's like vermouth, but if we say vermouth, everybody thinks that stuff their granny drank that was in the green glass bottle that yes. you know <laughs> sat there right, for thirty right. years because she only drank you know one schnitt every month or whatever. Um, so yeah, they're very similar to that, um, but we're kind of working on the other end. We've got a guava hibiscus one that's super fruity. Pair that with our ginger beer. We've got a uh, cucumber chamomile one. It's really light and refreshing. Goes great with seltzer. We've got um, a turmeric ginger lemongrass one um, that goes great with our true school soda that we have right now. Um, and so we're kind of looking into those and looking at scaling that up and maybe as opposed to selling the actual product, selling um, a canned cocktail made with our sodas because then we have control over both sides of it. And so that's probably going to be coming up. Um and then also, you know, once we get into the end of summer, early fall, we're going to start getting all those great harvest fruits in. So we're probably going to be doing some ciders, some perries for sure, um, and some other, you know, non-apple ciders. So liquid-wise, that's definitely Fun. where we're going there. Fun. And uh, hopefully the deli, we can find a, a space to... Make a bunch of cheese and get weird with some stuff and uh, and see how that goes. I would love to move that to the point where we can have it on store shelves. And you know, Big Baby Cheddar will be right next to, you know, Daya and Miyoko's and all the other uh, big hitters in the co-ops right now. So, Yeah, yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and it's such a, it's a growing market that, you know, you're, I mean you're smart guys so you're tapping into it with that knowledge you know that yeah. <laughs> but also just because this is something that you know feeds your creativity and inner geek is you yeah. know at least For that's sure. what i'm gathering um and that's that's actually the best intersection of of um situation is when you know you're passionate about something that happens to also be something that you can you know potentially make money like real money off of right so yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if if we wanted to, well, like, get really into chair making, it would be impossible for us to, to turn a profit on it. But <laughs> luckily, food production is a thing right. we've got a good handle on. So, 
Yeah, it's, right, um, right. I don't know. It, it's going to be, everybody probably feels this way, but like the next coming years going to be great <laughs> in comparison. So, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, we've, yeah. we've got a lot of cool stuff planned, even just like events in the tap room stuff we didn't get to do before. We've got our first beer dinner coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, our anniversary party is going to be off the chain this year too. So that'll be a blast. Um, and we're just looking to, I don't know. Have more people in Milwaukee think of us when they think of like, oh, what's a good place to go have a beer? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I really want to play mm-hmm. pinball, yeah. or yeah. I want to play yeah. this weird and board game. Kind and of your thing. your audience is pretty mixed already. Is is I don't know what I gather. It's sure. not you know. I mean, you have you have you know folks who come and sit on your patio, eat your food, like who are not plant based by you know. Totally. Um, yeah origin. I I think, you know, by making the stuff that we're making, um, you know, I'm not going to give somebody like a, a very highfalutin kind of thing. It's, it's street tacos and nachos right now. And we got beer cheese on the menu, like, and they're close enough to the real thing. Um, or the animal based thing. Our stuff is real too. It's not imaginary. Um, where, you know, I, I think if you're just looking for I, I, kind of like alt brew, I would like people to say, oh yeah, they make really good nachos that happen to be mm-hmm. vegan. Or like, mm-hmm. I think they're one of the better taco places in Milwaukee. No way we're going to get that, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> if we're up there, um, that, yeah. that's a success for us, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, well, and I think, I think I said this to you, like your, your queso, it, it, it doesn't quite, it doesn't completely scream queso, like, like meat bait or, um, animal-based queso to me, but it is so delicious that I just want to eat it all, you know, all the time. Which so, I'll, like, I'll take that too. To, you don't me, care that it doesn't have me, that's <laughs> animal just products. Good. You know, to me, that's just as good. Um, I'm a, but yeah. I'm also a big fan of not necessarily, like things don't have to taste like other things for me. You know, like, um, yeah. like you could make a plant-based meat and just give it a name and I'd be more likely to eat that than like a plant-based sure. bacon, you know. Um, especially yep. since I eat across the board. Um, but I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I eat tofu because I like tofu, not because I want it to taste like chicken or, you know, right. things like that. Yeah. So so to me, it's exciting because, you know, the more plant-based stuff, the more good quality plant-based stuff is out there, um, the more interesting, you know, eating gets because, you know, there's all sorts of new things to try that are different from, you know. Yeah. Everything else, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. So, 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 tell. Okay, so for anybody who maybe hasn't visited, where are you? Where can people find you, Dead Bird Brewing, physically, um, and also on social and existentially, and existentially, <laughs> um, <laughs> existentially. existentially you just you just concentrate really hard on the right, Lord that's yeah, and we're you know, I don't know, we're, we're probably pretty pretty Peter Pan halfway between sleeping and awake kind of in there dream state <laughs> existentially. Um, nice. Yeah. So uh, physically we are located just North of the Pfizer uh, on Walnut and fifth. Um, we feel, even though we're close to downtown, close to Pfizer, close to the interstate, we feel a little more in neighborhood. Um, we're just off Walnut, but uh, 1726 North Fifth Street is our address. Mm-hmm. Um, we're uh, our friends over at Pilcrow have their um, new coffee tap room opening up hopefully soon. 
they're right on Walnut, mm-hmm. um, and we're, I mean, we're within a hundred feet of them. Um, so we're close there. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, all that stuff. We recently got our first Reddit post where somebody was posting about us. So, um, if you're Ooh. on Reddit, oh, congratulations. a lot, <laughs> yeah, good, good, good things. I hope, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's. I mean, it's the internet, so there's always going to be some uh, grumpy trolls out there. But um, yeah, a lot of lot of support. Um, and we we do a lot of collaborative stuff. Um, so yeah, you can find Big Baby Cheese at at Flower Girl um, wherever Dana trucks her wood fueled mm-hmm. giant pizza oven around. Um, you can find us there. Um, we do a lot of stuff with uh, True School. Um, so we're doing sodas with them and we got some really cool stuff. We're actually building an arcade game, um, from scratch. So it'll be a giant stand-up arcade game. Um, and, uh, the kids are designing it and everything else. So we, we do a lot of stuff with them. Um, so you can existentially Mm -hmm. find us over at True School too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're, like I said, we're new to Milwaukee, but, uh, hopefully people come when they think of beer or tacos oh, you, or you guys whatever fit right else. In. You guys fit right in. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, so. thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and for telling us yeah, more. Yeah, thanks for having and, me. And uh, for letting me make existentialism jokes and <laughs> uh, for for giving me another Charlie the dog to think about. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, we look yes. forward to seeing, seeing, you know, where you, where you yeah. guys end up. I mean, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah, awesome. you can uh, come Thank on you. by. We got more outdoor seating, live music on Saturdays now, and mm-hmm. um, you know we're always good for hanging out, talking about beer, talking about food, Bucks Brewers, anything yep. like that too. <laughs> Go Bucks tonight! Hopefully, yeah. Uh, yeah. hopefully, and if you're listening to this in the future, have watched the Bucks beat the crap out of the Nets. <laughs> Right. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, and if you happen to be over by Fiserv, you should veer over. Wink, wink. A good place to park. Wink, wink. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it a podcast. <laughs> that was an awesome conversation. I loved that. So, I love Nick. He's such a he's such a geek in a in the best possible way. And I love um, that he takes the the name of the of the brewery in in stride because um, yeah. I think it could be very easy to get very defensive about you know like no this is our name and I think he knows that it's a fun quirky yes. name and yeah. with a fun quirky story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's 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 really cool that he embraces that and doesn't harumph. Yes. No. Absolutely. And and I feel like that it could be one of those names where like, oh my gosh, that's a horrible name, but it's it's true to their story, um, and it definitely is like it catches your attention. It does. Like, Why? It does. <laughs> and I mean, so. I love the stuff they're doing with vegan food. Yes. The stuff he's doing is insane and really cool and inventive. No. And no. people and like, actually and really really delicious. Like I've been I've been really pleasantly surprised that they yeah. you know have just come up with some great stuff. But um, yeah. I mean, and I, hopefully now with the the Bucks, hopefully the Bucks are still playing right now. Um, uh, but hopefully the with the Bucks, people check it out because they're right yeah. by. They're pretty close to Pfizer for them, so they are pretty close. And that that whole area, I think, is going to see you know um, more businesses cropping up. I mean, he mentioned Pilcro for one, and um, but I think I think that area is a, a prime you know 
know, kind of uncharted territory for this I city. I totally so. agree. So, but you know what cool. is pretty charted? Our food porn segments. <laughs> that was a normal uh, transition. Off That's the charts. Right. Just uh, seamless, logical transition. Right, right. Uh. So, um, yeah, and I, I have a piece, a really short, kind of fun little... Um, yeah. Romance called Cutting Greens. Ooh, and is this one? Is this one for me? It could be for you. Yeah, um, it's by a woman named Lucille Clifton, and it comes from an anthology called The Hungry Ear. Ooh, Ooh I like it. Just reminds me of corn somehow. But <laughs> corn isn't hungry though. You get hungry for corn. It, uh, yeah, I know. It's you know, it's twisted. But twisted. I'm, I'm a gonna, little, I'm a I'm gonna twisted, read this poem so. while giving my puppy little little pets and rubs because he is exhausted. Yeah. He was getting really antsy near the end yeah. of that podcast, which you may have heard um, or not. Uh, but now he is literally just sleeping like a dead dog on the couch. Uh, and now he's, he's very cute. He's a little precious guy. Little, wearing dead, a, bir- little dead bird dog. He's a little dead bird dog. Um, <laughs> well, anyways, with no further ado, I will now read Cutting Greens by Lucille Clifton from the anthology The Hungry Year. Curling them around, I hold their bodies in obscene embrace thinking of everything but kinship. Collards and kale strain against each other, away from my kiss-making hand in the iron bed pot. The pot is black. The cutting board is black. My hand. And just for a minute, the greens roll black under the knife, and the kitchen twists dark on its spine, and I taste in my natural appetite. The bond of living things everywhere. Sounds good. I want to eat it. <laughs> I like, yeah. I like, I like the food porn segment because every time we read one, and I'm like, well, now I'm hungry, and I'm already I'm, hungry at yeah. the end of every episode. But now I'm, now I'm like, totally God, damn it. Yeah, yeah, and it's all just you know about greens and a little you know. I don't know. I liked it. Liked it. <laughs> yeah, no, that went great. You know what else I like when people listen to the Food Crush podcast? And if people want to listen to the Food Crush podcast, where, where can people find it? People, well, you found us. You can find us on any platform where you can listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We go by Food Crush Pod. Food Crush Pod. It used to be Food Crush MKE, but then we realized oh, we want to go beyond like Milwaukee. We can we can do yeah. above and beyond Milwaukee. Not that there's anything above Milwaukee, uh, because Milwaukee is the tops. We can take we can take our pod to outer space. Ah, uh, yeah, we can pull a Jeff Bezos, and that's yeah. going to be a really really relevant reference yeah. in the two weeks it'll take for this <laughs> podcast to come out. People are going to be really still digging that Jeff Bezos going to space joke. <laughs> Uh, Lori, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, that's a good question. Where can they find me? No, I'm at Low Frederick, um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all those places. Nice. Um, chatting about food and about, you know, I don't know, life stuff sometimes. Yeah. How about Jeff you, Matt? Be- yeah, Jeff Bezos going <laughs> to space. Probably not Jeff Bezos going to space. <laughs> you don't want to talk about Jeff Bezos going not- to space? It's, Jeff Bezos needs to do something with all of his crazy money. The man quit a- Amazon so he could fly to space. And you know what? <laughs> Sounds like a 100% win. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at a man about film on Twitter, 
on Facebook, on Instagram, technically. I am going to post something on Instagram. I think by the time this podcast comes out, I'm going to have posted something what? new. Awesome. But okay. I also might not. So we'll find out. <laughs> you keep saying that. You're like this this constant like teaser. People are going to stop yeah. believing. And one time it's actually going to happen and people are going to be pumped. People are going to be like, wow. And, totally and worth people the weren't giving up by then. Worth like, the, yeah, you know? that's actually more yeah. true. Okay. And actually, you're, just probably, building, you're just building a bunch of hype. And it's going to be just like a photo of like, Charlie. Like it's just going to be him like flopped on a couch and they're going to be like, oh, well, he's cute, but this was not worth it. <laughs> But you know what is worth it? Uh, the Food Crush Podcast. And thank you so much to our editors and to go-getters for helping us out. And to you, Lori, for joining as always. And to Nick for joining yeah. on the podcast. And uh, to you all out there in the listening world for listening to the podcast. Yeah. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. And as always, keep cooking. Keep cooking.